0: 1 Samuel chapter number 17. You excited to be in the Lord's house this evening? Well, I don't know about you. I need prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. And uh been fighting the, the devil and the world and the flesh all week since Sunday. And uh, what a help it is to be able to come to the house of God. 1 Samuel 17. We're going to read our text tonight, and then we'll take these requests to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessing on the service. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34. The Bible says that David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you tonight with our hearts surrendered unto you. But Lord, we come as a needy people. Several requests have been mentioned tonight. And Lord, it struck me just the magnitude of the things that we're asking you for, humanly speaking. We're asking you to touch the health of people that are facing diseases that medical science is baffled by. And, Lord, we're asking you to open hearts that uh, the best uh, counselors or psychologists in the world could not even come close to being able to deal with. And, Father, we're asking you to save the souls of people that the world would look at and say are beyond repair and beyond redemption. And, Lord, we're asking you to meet financial needs that we see no humanly possible way of meeting. And, Lord, just we are a needy people. Uh, We are asking You for some big things tonight, but Lord, I am confident that You are sufficient to them all. There's not a thing that we've asked that You're not capable of. Lord, what we desire tonight is for Your will to be accomplished. We may have asked for things that we do not need, things that we earnestly desire, that anyone would desire, but things that if they occurred would be to the detriment of our testimony or to Your glory. And so, Father, we humbly ask these things, acknowledging that we do not have the knowledge or the wisdom that you have. So, Father, we ask for your will in these things, Lord, that you'd be glorified, that Christ would be magnified, and that we would be edified and drawn closer unto thee. I pray for the preaching tonight, Lord, that Christ would receive glory from it. Lord, I pray that uh, tonight through the preaching we would be drawn closer unto you. Lord, we love you, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Tonight in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we find ourselves at sort of a parenthetical moment, if we can use that term, uh, in the contest between the Israelites and the Philistines. And uh, the giant Goliath is down in the valley of Elah and he is parading himself day in and day out, taunting himself, or taunting the God of Israel and vaunting himself against the God of Israel. Saul and his men are trembling in fear and in cowardice. Uh, not confident that uh, the the victory will go their way. And uh, up to this scene walks a young man by the name of David. Uh, David is mentioned earlier in the Word of God. He is mentioned in the book of Ruth for the first time, in the lineage of Ruth. And he is mentioned in the chapter prior to this, whenever he is anointed king over Israel. But at this moment, you understand when David was anointed king, Saul was still king. It would be uh, seven years before David would sit upon a throne of any kind. And uh, when David in 1 Samuel chapter 17, when he walks up to the camp of Israel, having been sent there by his father Jesse, he is a relatively unknown figure. Uh, He is someone that has to to be explained to Saul who exactly this young man is that has stepped up and desires to stand against the giant Goliath. Uh, When he stands up and begins to sort of make his case before Saul. Saul felt as though he had a duty to protect David. David was one of his subjects. And uh, I think very simply, Paul, Saul looked at him in pity. He thought, here's this young man doesn't know what he's about to get himself into. Uh, David begins to state his case for why he believes that God is going to win them a victory that day, and why he believes that God is fully sufficient to deal with this giant down in the valley of Elah. And in order to uh, make that case before Saul, he tells a story about his personal life and about some victories that he had seen and some things that God had done in his life, namely the slaying of a lion and a bear when he was out following his father's sheep. Now, what I'm interested in tonight is that the things that David shares with us about this, not just a simple narrative story about something that happened, but as with anything in life, uh, in these pivotal moments, we disclose who we are and what our values are, what we believe. And I promise you, if you're getting ready to walk down into a valley and stand against a nine and a half foot giant, the things you say are going to betray what you really believe about life itself. As far as humanly speaking, they had every reason to believe that David would never walk back out of this valley. And so David shares this story as a testimony of God's faithfulness in his life. I want us, if we can, tonight to preach on this thought, fortifying our faith while following the flaws. It was not in the palaces that God had taught these lessons to David. It was not in the court that God had shown to David his faithfulness. But it was in his simple, mundane, everyday life that God had made himself real to David and had readied him for this moment in his life. You know, very often it is in the mundane, everyday routine of life that God teaches us some of the greatest lessons. Can I just make a little aside statement very quickly? Uh, Moses was trained for his great calling in life by spending 40 years on the backside of a desert following around a bunch of sheep. Uh, Jacob was readied and trained for a life of seeking God and leading his family by spending 20 years tending after the herds and flocks of his father-in-law. And very often in these mundane circumstances of life, we find that God is showing us and teaching us and developing us in ways that we would have never guessed until the moment arrives that we find use for the knowledge that God has given us. When we walk into this camp and we see David standing there, we find the future king at a, at a distinct place in his life. And just to sort of frame it, I wrote down three little phrases. One, I notice that we find him at a perilous moment in his life. This is a dangerous time for him. This is a time, we might say, when life gets real for him. Uh, it probably don't get any more real for you than getting ready to walk down and face the giant in the valley of Elah. But can I tell you that our life is filled with giants. Our life is filled with valleys of Elah. Our life is filled with opportunities where Satan could get an upper hand and opportunities where God could accrue to Himself great glory. I'm saying that very often we underestimate these important moments in our life. See, the truth is, it might be before the sun comes up that you find yourself facing your next giant in life. You might pillow your head tonight and your life is in nice, tidy order and everything is exactly the way that you anticipate and hope it should be and you could wake up to a whole different world. It was a perilous moment in David's life, but I'd also notice it was a providential moment in David's life. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, God had brought David to this moment because God was going to use this moment to exalt David into the place of the public arena. He was going to, through this event, bring him into a place of esteem and prestige with the peoples over whom he would one day rule. In fact, one of the first stories you were probably taught in Sunday school is this very story about the little shepherd boy with the sling and the five stones in the valley of Elah. He was not here by accident. God had brought him to this moment with distinct purpose. You know, that's true of all of us as believers these very moments that we face, moments of conflict, moments of spiritual warfare. Can I just go ahead and tell you this tonight? Every day of your life, to some greater or lesser degree, will be spiritual warfare. It may be a day when the battle is hot and heavy. It may be a day when uh, you're engaged in siege warfare and all that's required is just simple faithfulness and trusting God. It may be days when you've got to fight temptation in the flesh around every corner. But every day of your life, to some greater or lesser degree, will be spiritual warfare. And these moments in our life when much is at stake, when it would be easy to turn and run. Hey, there was a whole army of people turning and running. There was a whole army of people walking away from this problem. But one man chose to stand because there was a cause, there was a purpose, there was a reason for it, and he understood that he was not here by accident. Let me tell you something, life gets a lot less boring when you begin to believe in the providence of God. When you begin to believe that you're not where you're at by accident, you're not doing what you're doing by accident, and that there is, in fact, a great spiritual conflict and a great spiritual battle that is transpiring in your everyday life, in my everyday life, and the things that we may look at with mundaneness and with boredom, and we say, well, it's just routine, and it's just sort of muddling our way through and and slogging through the everyday of life. No, friend, in fact, every day there are these battles taking place. And God is bringing us to a place in a moment of decision. And that's what it was for David. It was a providential moment in his life, but it was a pivotal moment in his life. Everything was getting ready to change for him. Now, one event had transpired before this. The prophet Samuel had come and anointed him with oil. But really, from that point until this one, we have no reason to believe much change. This is sort of how David's life went. And this is, by the way, a good lesson in ministry. Uh, if you want God to use you in ministry, I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to Brother Tim. Brother Fred preaches some. And, uh, Brother Bill, of course, teaches our senior saints. We've got Sunday school teachers in the room. And so let me just say this. This is what ministry looks like. You ready? Uh, the old prophet with the ragged garb and mantle of God, walks out of the wilderness, pours oil on your head, uh, anoints you the king, you're ready, you're commissioned, you're called. And then daddy says, all right, that was good, now go back out and feed the sheep. (laughs) That's sort of what ministry looks like. It really is. Uh, You anticipate this great glorious event in life. And of course, the calling of God on your life is a glorious thing. But guess what it's followed by? It's followed by following the flock. It's followed by getting to the hard and arduous work of laboring for the Lord and serving others and serving Christ. And David, there hadn't been much happened between the, the horn of oil and this moment here, but this was a pivotal moment. Everything was getting ready to change in his life. And you know, you don't know when this next moment will be in your life. And so I think what he says and the way God had readied his faith, I think informs us on how we ought to stand ready. You know, the Bible says we ought to stand ready at all times, in all matters. We ought to stand ready to serve the Lord. Now, I notice a couple things. I've divided it into two categories. And I just want you to notice these two thoughts and then we'll be done tonight. First, I want you to notice in what he says, verses 34 and 35, I believe David gives us a proper perspective on our foes. Look what he says in verse 34. He says uh, unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Now, on the face, that seems sort of a simple, innocuous statement uh, relating something historically that happened in his past. But I think if we think carefully about this, we'll find there are are certain truths that are analogous to our lives. There are certain things that are found in what David said that I think remind me of some realities in our life. For instance, notice the first thing that he reveals to us is that our foes are a constant reality. There was nothing out of the ordinary about what David said. I mean that's what a shepherd did. That's why they had shepherds take sheep out. It was so they could graze them, so they could water them, but also there had to be a shepherd there to protect them because a sheep has no defense mechanism. It has no ability. It's, it's not a fast runner. It has no claws. It, it, it don't really have any teeth that it can uh, do much damage with. It is basically a completely vulnerable creature. And so of course a sheep would, or a shepherd would be sent out to watch the sheep. And in the natural course of things, it would just simply be common sense, Brother Ken, that from time Time you would come face to face with a lion or a bear or a wolf or some other manner of predator. But you know the reality is, I think this is, I think this parallels our life too. Because uh, in your life and in mine, if we live the Christian life, we too are going to be faced with constant foes and battles and challenges. We understand that we have a foe, uh, we have an adversary. Uh, that the Bible uh, reveals to us as uh, the devil, as Satan. He's our adversary and as a roaring lion he walked about seeking whom he may devour. But you notice it wasn't just one foe, it was multiple foes. And we too have multiple foes. As we endeavor to live the Christian life, we're going to have to battle the devil. He has a desire to destroy us. We're going to have to battle the influence of the world both from infiltrating us and also from tainting our lives. We're going to have to battle the flesh day in and day out. Listen, if if your life is not a battle with the flesh, then it's 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 probably because the flesh is winning. Because every day of your life, you're going to battle your flesh. And then we could even maybe get a little more abstract. I'd say we could say this, that inasmuch as David is facing a giant, that was the biggest problem he had at that moment. And sometimes in our life, it's not just the energized and activated opposition of the devil, the world, and the flesh, but also the trials and sorrows and troubles that we face. I'm saying this, that life is a series of enemies and battles. David doesn't speak it as though it's an unusual thing. Notice a couple things about this. First, notice the place that it happened. He says, "Thy servant kept his father 's sheep." In other words, he was in a place of obedience. He was uh, obediently serving his father. David wasn't doing anything wrong. He wasn't hanging out in the lion part of town or the bear part of town. Uh, David wasn't running with a rough crowd. He wasn't in a rough area. He wasn't up to any problems or any trouble. But listen, just because we serve God and live for the Lord, that does not mean our life will be free from obstacles and challenges and battles. In fact, something that you'll find is this. There's spiritual warfare going on in the life not only of a saved person, but of a lost person too. just unaware of it, and the devil's winning. So there doesn't seem to be a lot of conflict. But when you get born again, all of a sudden now there's an opposition. Now God has some victory in your life, and now you're trying to serve the Lord and live for the Lord. And that battle that was floating above your head all the time that you didn't know nothing about, you've become awakened to, your eyes have been opened to, and all of a sudden you're aware of this thing. Uh, The truth is, as you serve the Lord, sometimes the more you serve the Lord, the hotter the battle will get. He was in a place serving obediently. And don't think that every time there's a problem in your life, it's because you're disobedient. And don't think just because you're obedient, you're never going to have problems in your life. I see the place, but then notice not only that, notice the plurality. Now listen, I've had some bad days in my time. You've probably had one or two of them as well. Uh, But I'd say this, it was a rough day at the office for a shepherd when a lion and a bear both show up again. I mean, that's a full day, And, uh, you know, commentators have tried to explain this away. That's one of the things commentators are good at, is trying to explain away the text of the Bible. But uh, commentators have tried to explain this away, saying, well, he was saying on different days or he was saying a lion or a bear. I don't know about you, but I, I know I'd be pretty, pretty frantic if there was a lion or a bear coming at me. But I bet I would have enough awareness to know which it was. Amen. I probably wouldn't mistake one for the other. Commentators have tried to come up with all sorts of, of excuses as to why your Bible doesn't say what it clearly says. I think when we just take the Bible at face value, I think we can see that there was both a lion and a bear. By the way, that's not hard to imagine. I'll say something about this here in a moment, but it's not hard to imagine a scenario where a bear comes out and takes a lamb and then a lion that was also interested pursuing that lamb goes and challenges that bear to try to get that lamb from it and here David finds himself in the middle of it. It's not at all unrealistic to me to imagine this scenario taking place, but you know what I find fascinating is that he didn't just have to fight one enemy, he had to fight two enemies. And can I tell you not only are you in your Christian life, I wish I could tell you that all your lines are going to uh, that all your problems are going to uh, uh, to to stand in a uniform single file line and take a number and wait for you to get done with the previous problem before the next one shows up, but I'm sorry that is simply not how life takes place. There is often a plurality of battles, a plurality of challenges. In fact, one of the great things that uh, that, that we need in our life is good situational awareness. You know, very often the devil is smart enough to know that if he can get you distracted on this front and then attack you on that front, he has a better chance of getting a hold of your life. And very often in our lives, because of our blindness, because of our our willful ignorance to spiritual matters, the devil will get us distracted with one trial, with one conflict, with one problem and then sneak another problem in unaware to us. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people and heard people say things like this. I just can't deal with with that too. I just can't deal with that too. For instance, can I give you an example? I can't tell you how many people I've heard say, well, you know, I'm dealing with all this. I, I just, I can't deal with church right now too. I'm dealing with all this, I just ain't got time for my Bible right now. Has ever dawned on you, it may not be about that first thing. It might be about getting you out of your Bible in the first place. It might be about getting you out of church in the first place. It might be about killing your prayer life in the first place. It could be a diversion tactic. And I promise you this, David had to have a little situational awareness to keep an eye on the lion and the bear at the same time. But you know, in your life, that, by the way, that's why we need the Lord so desperately. He's got a better. He's got a bird's eye view of our life. And if we'll just listen to him and his leading, then we'll find we won't develop blind spots, but we'll be able to effectively and efficiently fight on all areas. You see, our foes are a constant reality. David had to fight two foes at one time. Then I notice the second thing here. Look at verse 35. David did something I don't know if I would have done, but David did it and I, I commend him for it. Verse 35 says, I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. Now, there's a question, I think, that naturally arises. Which one did he smite? And I think the next phrase in your King James Bible explains it perfectly. It says, and when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. It would seem what happened was the bear had the lamb first. David goes and, and delivers the, the, the lamb out of the mouth of the bear. And then immediately the lion raises up to try to take the lamb away from David. In other words, notice how David dealt With this enemy. David knew he could either run from danger or rescue the sheep. But he couldn't do both. Right? You with me? He could either run from danger or he could rescue the sheep. But he could not do both at the same time. You know, here's what he did. He walks up and grabs that thing. And he takes the, from the bear first, takes the lamb out of his mouth. And then turns around, uh, fights the lion. He dealt with it in a straightforward manner. In a, you with me tonight? In a straightforward manner. I'm gonna to have to get an amen button if y'all don't help me now. In a straight, he didn't run from it. He ran up and grabbed it and took the lamb out of his mouth. Now that's braver than I would be with a physical bear, I'll tell you that much. It, uh, but it reminds me of this, that listen, not only are our foes a constant reality, but our foes require a direct strategy. I've never seen anybody serve by running from their problems. You know, nowhere in the Bible are we commanded to flee from the devil. Nowhere. Now, we are told that if we resist him, he'll flee from us. But nowhere are we commanded to turn around and run away from him. We're to face him. Now, not in pride, not not in arrogance, not in ignorance, of course. But we need to recognize that the problems that we face in our life are only going to be dealt with in as much as we will face those problems. So many people in their life, they turn around running from one problem and run smack into another one. You know, that's what the Bible likens people running from the judgment of God in the book of Hosea. It said it'd be like they ran from a lion and ran into a bear that was bereaved over whelps and uh, turn around, run away from that bear, run in a house and stick their hand on the wall, lean there to rest and a snake uh, jump out of the wall and bite them by the hand. God saying this, we can't run from our problems. We're going to have to turn around and face them. Uh, The sooner that we face our problems, the sooner God can get glory through our battles. The sooner that we face our problems, the less time and opportunity is given to the devil to get the upper hand in our life. And I'm just telling you this, and this regards, by the way, our sin problems. This deals with our faith problems. This deals with our spiritual warfare, battles against the devil and battles against the flesh and battles against the world. I'm saying this, no one's served by running away. we got to deal with them. You know, it's possible to paralyze your spiritual development by refusing to deal with a problem. That thing can cripple you and that thing can hinder you and that thing can prevent you from growing in the Lord. You know, we'd all be best served tonight if the Holy Ghost is just 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 poking on our heart right now about some matter to just deal with it. Just deal with it. Don't put it off. The more you put it off, the easier it'll be to put it off the next time, the next time, the next time. Now, that might sound good on its face, but one of these days you're going to have to stand before God and it won't be put off then. So you'd be better served to just go ahead and deal with it. Our foes require a direct strategy. But Then I notice a third thing. Now stop and think about this this scene with me. He goes out after this bear that has the lamb in its mouth. He fights this bear and he goes and, and, and smites the bear and takes the lamb out of its mouth. And no sooner did that happen, he turned around. There is another foe immediately there to attack him. There's a lion right there in his face. He arose against him and David caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. You know, it's a reminder to me that our foes exhibit a dogged tenacity. I wish I could tell you that you will deal with your problem and never have to deal with it again. Now there are some problems in life that may be like that, but as regards spiritual warfare, and I don't say this to discourage you, I say this to steal you. I say this to to solidify your resolve and commitment to the Lord. The fact is that the moment that you resist this temptation, you'll walk around the corner, there'll be another temptation. The moment that you yield to the Spirit of God and let God have the victory in some matter of your life, in your behavior, or in your outlook, you're going to have to turn around and face another foe. It's not Going to change, we just have to commit to be faithful. You know, one of the great things that I think, and I'm I'm pro altar. Let me just say that I'm pro altar. I'm for every kind of altar uh, except one that you'd sacrifice an animal on. Other than that, I'm pro altar. And and in as much as maybe we could call a barbecue grill an altar that we sacrifice an animal on, I'm pro that kind of altar. Amen. I'm I'm pro altar, but you know the altar the idea of we're going to close out a service, we're going to have an altar call and we're going to do that, uh, that that's really an invention of modern Christianity. We don't find that necessarily in the Bible. Now we find the Old Testament form of altar, of of sacrifice, and we find the concept of an altar. And certainly things like repentance, confession before God, not before man or a priest, but confession to God of our sins and, and public acknowledgement of our sins. Those principles, I think, which drive the concept of an altar are certainly biblical. But you know what I think can be one of the detriments to a culture of altar calls is this concept that we go down with a problem, we give it to God, and when we get up, we leave it there and we're never going to face it again. Can I tell you something? It don't matter how much you resolve yourself in giving something to the Lord. You're still going to have to battle that thing when you get back in your pew. You're still going to have to battle it when you get in your car. You're still going to have to battle it when you get to the house. You're going to have to be as resolved outside of the altar as you are at the altar. The fact is, the moment you get up, turn around, there'll be a line there waiting to take that lamb away from you. The moment that you stand up from one problem, there will be another problem there. Now, that's not cause for discouragement. You know why? Because the God of all glory, Him that is, that, that is in us is greater than Him that is in the world. Uh, the God of all glory resides within us to strengthen us and help us and enable us. But I'm merely saying we need to understand that there's going to be a perpetual warfare. And if we think just because we give something to God, we're not going to have to face that or battle that again. If you figured out how to do that, you need to let me in on it. Does that sure make my life a lot easier. I don't know about you, but I pray and give things to God. And I understand there's a peace that passeth all understanding. I know God can give peace in a certain circumstance or situation where peace gives Him glory. But I'm saying in a broad sense of our Christian life, we're going to face temptation. We're going to face battles. That is a reality of our life. And the sooner we come to terms with that, the better prepared we'll be to, to perpetually and effectually lean on the Lord. You you know, when are we going to learn that's what this is all about? It's about leaning on Him. Why would the world, why, why would the Lord say lean on me and then take away all of our infirmities? This whole thing is about us leaning on Him. Can I just tell you this? You remember Mephibosheth? I'm sure you do in your Bible. I'm sure you remember in Second Samuel 9 the story of Mephibosheth and how he was the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan, how that God changed his life. David went and got him and uh, took him from Lodabar and brought him to the palace in Jerusalem made him as one of the king's sons and uh, how that he restored back to him the lands that he had had and gave him servants so that they would work that land and provide for him and treated him just like one of the king's sons and gave him a place at the king's table. You know, know how that chapter ends? 2 Samuel 9 ends this way, and Mephibosheth was lame on his feet all the days of his life. All that God did for Mephibosheth, he didn't heal his feet. Now, God could have. It took no more effort, or it would have taken no more effort for God to have healed Mephibosheth than it did for God to do everything else for Mephibosheth that he did. Why didn't God do that, Brother Kent? I'll tell you why I believe he didn't do it is because I believe Mephibosheth was flesh and blood like me or you. And I think the first thing he'd want to do if he had his feet back is get up and wander. He'd say, I'm going to take me a big old long walk. In fact, I'm not going to sit here and be a ward at the, at the king's house. I'm not going to be just another mouth to feed at the king. He, he might have even said something like this. You know, I'm the rightful heir to this throne. And maybe it's time I run things. But you know, God left him lame on his feet because that kept him at the king's table. I'm just telling you, this thing's about leaning on him. If you think you're going to give your problem to God and never have to give it to him or deal with it again, this is a daily... Paul said, I died daily. This is a daily thing. We die daily. We need bread daily. We seek the Lord daily. This is a daily thing. Our foes exhibit a dogged tenacity. So he, I think he gives us a proper perspective on our foes. But not only that, I think he gives us a proper perspective on faith. Now, what is faith? Faith faith is the effectual dependence upon God based upon his word. God says something. We say, "Okay, God, I believe you. And now I'm going to live in light of that belief. I'm going to trust you. Uh, When we lean on the Lord, depend upon him, we're saying, Lord, I believe you will keep your word. And I think David here gives us some enlightening truths about what faith is. Notice, first off, he speaks to the precedent of faith. Verse 36, he says, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. So David's facing a prospective problem. He's getting ready to walk down into this valley. But instead of merely looking with rose, uh, a rosy-eyed optimism uh, towards the future, he actually looks backwards and he says, you know, God has before delivered me that trusting in the Lord has worked before, and I believe it will do so again. We have to be careful lest we allow our Christianity to merely be a, an exercise in nostalgia. But I do think there is a biblical... Principle, a biblical truth that we in our life are to use the past victories of God as a sort of bank or reserve upon which our faith can draw. David said, you know, God did it before. He can do it again. God did it before. He can do it again. Most of us, hey, listen, I, and, and maybe I'm mistaken. I could be wrong, but ain't none of us in here been saved in the last 20 minutes. We've been around a little while. We've seen God do some amazing things in our life. Why does God do those things? Why doesn't He just save us and take us on to glory? You say, well, preacher, somebody has to share the gospel. Well, God's got angels that could share the gospel. Uh, What is He doing in leaving us here? Well, He's developing us. He's growing us. He's glorifying Himself through us. And these battles that we fight and these victories that God wins, the purpose is to enrich our faith and to make us more like Christ. He looks backwards and he gives us the precedent of faith. God did it before. God can do it again. Not only that, think with me about the proclamation of faith. So he says, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And here's what I would have been tempted to say. Yeah, so what? It's not a lion down in that valley. It's not a bear down in that valley. It's a nine and a half foot giant down in that valley. It's not a lion that could maybe be deceived or a bear that uh, could maybe be overtaken, but it's a man with wit and with cunning and with knowledge. And I think in as much as as Goliath sort of foreshadows the Antichrist, I think there's an argument to be made that he was a cunning individual and a skilled warrior. And I think it would have been real easy to look at it and say, that's a bigger problem down in the valley than you've ever faced before. What did David say, though? He said, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. That's a fascinating exercise in perspective. David's faith viewed Goliath as an enemy, different in stature, but no different in sort or solution than his prior foes. Can I tell you what fear does? Fear focuses on the problem. And fear says, well, this is a bigger problem than I have ever faced before. Faith instead focuses upon the resource. Who's who's the resource? The resource is God, His Word and His power. So fear looks at it and says, man, I've never faced anything like this before. Faith looks at it and says, no, you've not faced this, but you've faced plenty like this. You've faced problems before and they may have been different, but the same solution for those problems is the same solution for this problem. Maybe a different giant, maybe a different day, but it's the same God that delivered you before that can deliver you now. His proclamation of faith, he said, I can handle this giant. Why do you think that, David? Well, because God's gonna handle him. And he may look big to us, but he don't look big to God. <laughs> He slew a lion, he slew a bear. That tells me he's interested in my life and he's interested in helping me and protecting me. And if I'm serving him and living for him, then, then he has my part and he is my portion. And as such, I may be facing a Philistine. I may be facing something that I've never faced before. But it doesn't change what the plan is. The plan is trust God and let him have his will and his way. I don't know what you're facing. I, I, I've i spoken to people in this past week, been diagnosed with diseases that the world would call terminal. I, I, I've i prayed with people this week, got family uh, messed up and broken and don't know what's going to happen with them, and they're scared. And rightly so, I'd be scared too. I don't blame them for being scared. But let me say that the eye of faith looks past those problems and sees the God that reigns supreme and says this may be different than what I've been through before, but in other ways it's no different at all. It's a problem that I'm facing, but God is bigger than this problem. He is sufficient for this need, and He asks of me only that I trust Him. I see the proclamation of faith. Then I see the priority of faith. Notice what he says. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. That's fascinating to me. Now let's stop and think about this for just a moment. He says, here's why God is going to cast down this giant. Because he defied the armies of the living God. Makes you wonder what the lion and the bear did. I'm serious. What did they do? Were they defying the armies of the living God? I don't think so. You see, he, he reveals to us a basic singular principle for our lives. You know, Paul revealed this and, and disclosed this thought. He said, if God be for us, who can be against us? I'm not saying God's for everything that you're for. God, There may be things that you're for that God's not for at all. But I'm saying this, we can make the choice to make sure that whatever we're for, it's what God is for. You know where David was whenever he was attacked by that lion and that bear? He was out in his daddy's field doing what God had instructed him to do, to be obedient unto his mother and his father. He was serving the Lord in a way that may have seemed insignificant, may have seemed inconsequential but it sure made a difference that line and that bear and he understood this basic principle of faith i'm going to say it this way the priority of faith see the power of biblical faith is that it aligns our priorities with god's priorities david knew god would defeat his enemy because david had made god's enemy his enemy you want to know how you can always make sure you win get on the winning side Make God's will your will, and you'll find it's real easy to get things done in your prayer life. Now, I'm not saying you'll always understand it. I'm not saying you'll always get it right as regards the things that you ask for. But there's a reason the Bible says that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He'll give us the desires of our heart. Because if what pleases us is for God to be pleased, then why wouldn't God answer the prayers that we pray to Him? See, faith says I want what God wants because I believe God when He says He wants what's best for me. Therefore, even when I don't understand exactly what's going on in my life, I'm going to go ahead and trust God anyway and pray for Him to have His will and His way. Faith desires what God desires. And that's a powerful thing. You know what you're doing? You're putting yourself on God's side. And you're saying, I want what God wants in this matter. Uh, David said to himself, I can defeat this, this giant. You know why? Because this giant's picking on God. And God ain't going to be picked on. <laughs> and, and if I put myself on the side of these matters that God is standing on, then surely I can be victorious. Hey, this is what Paul meant when he said, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The world may slay us. The world may impoverish us. But at the end of the day, we have aligned ourselves on the side of the God of glory. And read the back of the book, friend, he's victorious. He's victorious. We see the priority of faith. And finally, and I'm done tonight, notice the preparation of faith. Now, I'm not going to say a lot about this, but, but I, do, I, I think it's worth saying before we close. Look at verse 37. David said moreover. So he's summarizing, right? He tells this story and he says, all right, boys, now this is the point of all of it. The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Now, I think David is simply summarizing, but something is revealed there that I think is important. David understood that the prior battles in his life were in fact preparatory battles. He would now draw on that testimony to bolster his faith. I sort of preached at this a moment ago, but now I'm going to preach it. He says this basically, God put me in battles before because he knew I'd be standing at this battle right now. He defeated the lion and the bear uh, so that I would be ready for this moment and this time to stand in front of this. Giant, You see, his faith hadn't developed in just a moment. I understand that faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I understand a person can have never heard the Gospel before, hear the Gospel and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that faith be birthed and then through that faith be birthed in the family of God. But I'm talking about your faith in your Christian life. Your developed faith is not something that happens just overnight. The things that are taking place in your life are getting you ready for the next things that are going to take place in your life. But here's the only way that it helps you is if you, like David, would draw on that testimony to bolster your faith. If you'll look back, the next giant you face, you know what your first thought ought to be? Hey, you remember that giant I faced a week or two ago and what God did in that situation? Let me say it a little differently. The next need that you face in life, you know what your first thought ought to be? Hey, you remember when God answered that prayer a few days ago? I, I, we can apply this to almost any area of choice and conflict in our life. Next time the devil comes knocking on your heart and says you're a failure, uh, says, why don't you just go ahead and live for me and, and do my will? All you have to do is say, you know, you remember that time that I listened to God instead of listening to the devil and remember how happy I was and how God worked a, a work in my life and how God did great things through my life? doesn't matter what it is. Next time the world comes knocking on your door and says, why are you wasting your time? Why don't you just live it up? Why don't you just give it up and live live your life the way that you want. You can say, hey, you remember that time in my life when I chose God over the world and how much more joy I had from the Lord as opposed to the world? You can talk about your flesh. Next time your flesh comes up and says, oh, go ahead and give in and do it. Go ahead and just do what you want to anyway. You can just remind yourself and your flesh. You remember that time that I buffeted my flesh and God gave me peace through it and I saw God then do something remarkable because I was obedient unto Him. Doesn't matter what it is you're facing, your answer always ought to be, you remember when God slew that lion and slew that bear? He's always getting you ready for the next battle. The question is, will you have your heart fixed on him in such a way that he can have you ready and that he can do a work in your life? Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar's open if the Lord dealt with your heart, I believe there's a reason for it. I I just there's nothing he does by accident. I believe if he dealt with you, he did it, for, did it for a reason. So why don't you come down, meet with him in this altar, and uh, why don't you just yield unto him once again? Father, I love you and thank you for this time you've given us. Bless this invitation. We ask it in Jesus' name with our...